but I realized that everybody I was thinking of in Natalie Portman, like everybody, how do they measure up? Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. <laughs> she could be Batman. It'd be the right choice. Nerd on. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Nerd On, the podcast you didn't need, but you deserve, and where all levels of nerd are welcome. Uh, we have a very special episode today. Uh, aren't all of our episodes special? Not all know. special. All of them are special. Um, we're going to do a little bit of the housekeeping up front, uh, because we do have a special guest, and we're going to start off with a little bit of introduction. I'm Josh. My name is Tom. And we are joined by Corey, and I'm going to give the whole spiel for Corey because I'm very excited to have him. Um, but let's get into the housekeeping. <laughs> A big shout out to the Nerd On Nation that is powered by Patreon. Uh, as a member of the Nerd On Nation, you do get fun perks, like you get uh, bonus episodes that nobody else hears. You get early access to these episodes. You get uh, early access to merch. You get... Um, Nerd On Nudge. You get the Nerd on Nudge for our Nerd on Update, mm -hmm. in which we answer questions from you, the people, and you get that Nerd on Nudge to the front of the line to get your questions answered first. And you do get secret channels on our Discord. Um, so yeah, check that out. It's a fun place to be. It's a fun community to be a part of. Um, so nerdon.tv backslash Patreon and check out that Discord. It literally is growing by the day. It's really fun to see. We're almost in triple digits, which is... It's it's crazy time. So check that out. Nerdon.tv backslash discord. And another shout out to our partners, Apogee, uh, who have equipped us with these microphones, uh, the hype mic, the ultimate podcasting microphone, and Odyssey headphones. Um, as we say, and as Odyssey has accepted, if your ears were mouths, they taste like butter. They're just so good. They feel so good. They sound so good. I recommend They are them. so good. They are so good. Um, but yeah. That is the housekeeping. Let us get on with the show. And I want to give the spiel. The spiel. Do it. The spiel. Do it to me. I love trailers. Trailers are those things that get us pumped to see something we've only heard rumors about. They give us a glimpse of something special. They excite us. They hook us. And I love them. And who knew? Who knew? Who knew? There, there would be a podcast that is devoted to the art of trailers and teasers. So I am pleased to welcome Corey Nathan, the host of Trailer Geeks and Teaser Gods, a podcast in which you hear directly from the greatest creatives throughout the history of the modern trailer business. It is about honoring the work and the people behind the work of your favorite trailers, teasers, and posters. And later on in the show, we're going to give Corey the chance to get his nerd on about something that is near and dear to his heart, acting, and his favorite actors. But everybody, give a warm welcome to Corey Nathan. Corey, welcome to Nerd On. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. I might, I might just rip that and use that as my intro for the show from now on. Do it. You're welcome. Was, Cut the check. Ten you're cents welcome. residuals. <laughs> um, that was great. So yeah, let's uh, let's let's start from the beginning. Let's start the the easy question. Kind of? Is it easy? Yeah. How are you doing in the How quarantine? How's everything going these days? 
That's not an easy question. I know. It's loaded. I realize it's loaded. <laughs> okay, so the oh, candid yeah. answer is when this all happened, I, I was at a dinner meeting the day that the NBA announced they're suspending the season. So this was like sometime around March 12th, I want to say. Mm. Yeah. And he got it. The guy that I was with got it on his phone and he basically like stood up and left the dinner meeting. He like, he wasn't rude about it, but he was like, oh, this shit is real. And he <laughs> left. I got a quarantine then, now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and w- strangely, like, it wasn't another couple of days until California even mm-hmm. went into lockdown, yeah. let alone the rest of the country. Um, but when we did, I started thinking in terms of we have to think about what's what this is and what's on the other side of this because the world is basically hitting a reset button. And yeah. sometimes that reset is just really freaking dramatic um, whether it's personally or globally, and we got to think in those terms. What's on? What's what's it look like on the other side? And number one, how how do I and we, my family, the people I love, the people I work with, how do we get through this? But then, how, how do we place ourselves and readjust ourselves so that on the other side of this, we are still able to provide value. Um, to coworkers and collaborators, you know, so that really was the project for me. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my main sources of income uh, has been through my headhunting practice. Um, that's how I got to know all these people in the trailer world. That was my specialty as a, as a headhunter. But thinking realistically, like if the economy is going to tank or even just hit a reset, I mean, people are going to be frugal. Companies are going to be frugal for ha- we don't know how long. So I need to think about ways that I can provide value to those companies I've been working with for so long. Or if that's not possible, what are the, these other things that, um, that I can be doing, we can be doing that is at the intersection of um, culture and commerce and technology, you know, just to be a relevant participant in interesting projects and hanging out with interesting people and somehow still be able to pay our mortgage. So that's yeah. what I've been thinking about, and that's what I've been working on for the last six plus months. Yeah, for what was going to be three weeks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I I thought that it would be. I I did think that it would be a couple of weeks. We got a couple of weeks in. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, realistically, this is going to be July first, you know. And we get to the middle of June. Actually, no. We get to the end of May, and then. George Floyd was killed oh. and then a whole other world earth shattering event yeah, yeah. happened. Some for great good, obviously um, not the killing of George Floyd. No. Don't get me wrong, but like the, 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 the protests and what it awakened in all of us, you know, of people of goodwill that want to heal these centuries old wounds, you know? Um, but as far as the pandemic and the shutdowns by a week into June, I'm thinking, Oh, we're headed in the right direction. You know, and a week later, it was like, oh, shit, those numbers are starting to spike again. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's been yeah. a crazy. Yeah, it's crazy a crazy time, time for, for everybody. Um, yeah. So you mentioned headhunting. Um, so we're going to, before we get into about your podcast, um, what, what, what do you do? What is your, what is your thing? You said headhunting. What does that yeah. mean? 
Explain that to the layman, please. For me, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so um, my job is to help build companies or build new divisions one person at a time. Um, so the kinds of folks that that a, a company would come to me for, um, it's not it's not what they can advertise for. You need to actively recruit these other people. Um, so when I first got started, I didn't know it was a thing, but somebody that I consider a mentor, he was my very first client on my own a guy named Craig Murray. He was the investor in motion. Shout out. Um, okay. Yeah. So Michael McIntyre was, um, had this crazy idea to start a boutique competitor to imaginary forces, but more as a trailer company versus a pure design company. And I had no idea what the hell he was talking about, but it sounded really interesting. And his ultimate boss at that time was Craig Murray. He's working at CMP West, Craig Murray nice. Productions West. Um, and I didn't, I, I didn't know how I'd help him, but I knew I wanted to help him because it sounded like a really cool idea. And once I started digging into what Imaginary Forces was, and Kyle Cooper was there at that time, and it was a couple of years after he did the opening title sequence for Seven. Oh. I'm like, this is really fucking yeah. cool. So I wanted to help in any way I could. I had a little bit of background in business as well as the arts. And um, I started writing a business plan for him. I started looking for real estate for him. I get to meet Craig Murray and Murray is like, what, what are you doing? You're writing a business plan? Oh, that's cute. <laughs> he, he's, he's like, oh, you're not you're so writing sweet. a business plan. <laughs> yeah. Because he said, that's not, you're not going to tell me anything that, that I don't already know. I know it's a good idea, but you know, and I also know how to execute it. What but I need you to help me execute it. I'm like, I thought I was. He's like, no, you're just writing a business plan, whatever. He goes, he, he, he distilled it down for me. And it was, at the end of the day, we know Michael has a good idea. And we know that if he executes the idea, it's going to be a really killer company. Hmm. But in order to execute the, that idea, it comes down to people. And Craig said, and I, I can't, there, there are certain people that are key to it. Um, certain kinds of creatives with certain level of cre credibility in the industry, I can't call my competitors and even explore whether that person is leaving their options or not. Yeah. Uh, options open or not. Um, you know, and it was a short list of like, it, it's like if you get to a major league sport, you know, a company really needs to upgrade its starting shortstop. A shortstop that has better range than its current shortstop and maybe can hit with a little bit of pop. Uh, and has a decent on base percentage, you know, it's a very specific thing, you know, trailer world, entertainment, advertising world is a major league sport in a lot of senses of the word. Yeah. So any company that need, that is actively engaged in trying to be successful, there are specific things that they need, whether it was ant farm at the top of their game and they realized they needed to diversify. We helped them get into games for the first time. Mm. Um, you know, Trailer Park that, that you know so well, uh, they, they also came to a similar conclusion, but we helped them get into print for the first time. You know, so, gosh, I, uh, now I'm second-guessing myself whether I should even uh, reveal some, some of it. But they're, Ooh, those spoilers. stories are like 15 plus years old. But, um, but that, that's the kind of thing. So does that, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, what, that what totally makes sense. I think, um, yeah. I think the other thing to bear in mind that it's just like it's – I think that's so interesting – because I work in that inter industry is that it's just like with anything that you, you, you don't know the players, 
that are involved. Yeah. Like you don't realize that. No, you you look at a trailer and like you go, it's a Paramount movie. So, oh well, Paramount did that trailer. No, no, they might mm-hmm. not have. They, yeah, right. I mean, some studios do do in house, but very rarely. Um, yeah. Oftentimes, it's these places like Trailer Park, Buddha Jones, Motion, Ant Farm. Uh, right. That they're that's their specialty, and it's it is a specialty. Like I. Uh, Bonnie, my wife, who is a writer producer who writes promos, Shut we up. always talk about this where it's like you you have to you're watching something, and I'm ruined forever mm-hmm. of watching stuff because you go, that's a promo line. <laughs> oh, that's cut to that. Use that as the you know. It's like you you can't. There are people that make those decisions, and it's it's yeah. a special kind of mind that makes a trailer. I think. I mean, it's like. Oh, you, I see. You're, so you're you're watching the show and you're doing selects without even realizing yeah. <laughs> that you're doing it. Selects, yeah. You're just like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. They use that line. That's a good line. That sells the show. You know, it's like, and that's kind of. I mean, to pull the veil back. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, trailers are advertisement. Yeah. You know. Well, you, you brought up an interesting point because the first five, ten to ten years of my career, it was the early two thousand. So. The, the, there was value without me ever even doing a placement because my job was to take somebody new out to lunch every day. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the first maybe year to two years that I was in the business, what I was doing was I was developing the roster list of every shop in the industry and every editor at each shop and every producer, every writer, every designer, every music supervisor. So that was not information. You know, back then, before LinkedIn, before Facebook, um, there was the LA 411, you know, and the LA 411 might have had a company or two that that maybe, maybe had some foot in the industry, but was it, it wasn't like it was listing Cimarron, Kaleidoscope, Aspect Ratio. Like these guys, they didn't need to list in the LA 411 because the only people that they needed to know about Aspect Ratio at that time was the six major studios. That's it. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So it was hard to find this information in the first place. That's why a lot of the stories you hear on that, on that podcast of, of how people got into the industry starts with, I didn't know it was an industry, yeah. you know, like, so people kind of back into it. Now it's a little bit different, but um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, so um, how, how does, you know, head hunting come into uh, trailer geeks and teaser gods? How does, how does this come to be? What was your, what was the, the inception of I, <clears throat> the, the thing that kept me going um, for 20 years was not necessarily doing deals. I, mm-hmm. I, I honestly, don't, don't tell anybody, but I didn't like that part. Oh. I really did. I didn't, I liked the idea of helping a company. I liked the idea of helping a person advance their career if it was the right move for them. But I didn't like the, the deal. Um, what I really really valued was the relationships process uh, to a certain degree, the process. Mm-hmm. But for me, the process was about nurturing those relationships. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and the more I got to know individuals um, and their stories and their passions and their concerns and their life stories, the more interesting I found it and, and their life stories are all a thread in the bigger story of the trailer industry and nobody really thoroughly told that story, you know? So I think 
literally the first time I, I figured out how to download a podcast app and listen to my first podcast, I was like, this is the story that we can tell this story on a podcast. We can tell the story of the modern trailer industry or entertainment marketing more broadly in the podcast medium. It is just made for it. And the way to tell that story is by telling is by, is by artfully and in an edifying way, um, one thread at a time. And the threads are those human beings, those interesting humans that make up the industry that are the legends, the hall of famers, if you will, of the, of the industry. So yeah. And it's proven to be the case. Like people that I was really terrified of interviewing um, because I, I didn't know them that well, but I knew them enough to know that they were pretty introverted. Mm-hmm. Um, they too, in particular ended up being two of the most fascinating people and, and, and not great interviews per se. They, they were just, they ended up being good interviews because they're such interesting people. They have a story and to They tell. did such yeah. great work, you yeah. know, work that's going to be, if, if, I believe that um, several of these people have done work that contributed to the culture that's still going to be talked about a hundred years from now. Work that Dawn Bailey did and some of the posters that she made, like her Wes Anderson stuff that she's done, mm. is still going to be talked about and studied in art schools a hundred years from now. Yeah. Some of the trailers that Skip Shasan has done, um, Gone in 60 Seconds, like if you study editing, Oh yeah, you know you're going to be studying and deconstructing how he re- reverse engineering how he came up with that. Yeah, you know. So I mean, those I, are two people I was really terrified of interviewing because I thought they were going to be shy, and I also the vain side of me thought they don't like me. They're not <laughs> <laughs> whatever all that stuff. Well, so. I mean, two things I'd love to speak about, like what you're saying, like the importance of people, like especially in the trailer industry, that people another part that people don't know about it is that it's very it's not all the time, but oftentimes it can be a under the fire kind of thing where it's like, what this needs to mean? be done now. Like this, mm. the client oh, oh, wants this. Crunch and time, so baby. like when you're building those relationships, you're building a team and you want to be able to um, trust the person next to you. You know what I mean? Like work with the person because you're also creating something that's going out to the world. And so you want to be able to trust that person under fire. Like, yeah. you know what it's I mean? The Foxhole so, family. Yeah, the Foxhole yeah. family. Um, but also, like, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been listening to your show of, like, it's really fascinating to watch a trailer now and watch a trailer from 1992. Yes. And to compare yeah, Even an individual's work. If yeah. you look at, like, Bill Neal's stuff, the first stuff that he was finishing in, like, the early 90s when he was at New Wave... It was good. It was, you could see that there's some, but it was very, very different than the stuff that he's been doing for the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Trailers have morphed and, and changed. Voiceover used to be a thing. Now yeah. it's not, um, hardly ever. Um, except in social, I've noticed in social VO is being used a ton. Yeah. Which is great. You know, which is great for the VO guys. So like, I'm, I'm happy for him. I, yeah. I work for those guys too. So there's got to be a place for the narrator. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, cause you're not going to get the movie guy voice hardly ever yeah. unless it's for a joke. Yeah. Um, I, so, yeah. I, I was, I was listening to the first episode of, um, uh, trailer geeks. And, um, I was like, man, I really hope he gets the opening where we can get introduced by the trailer movie guy. <laughs> but, um, I want to ask a question. This is a little bit more of like a topic. Uh, like, I don't know if this is controversial or not, but, um, 
particularly with awards, particularly with accolades and recognition, um, yeah. I think the industry has kind of shifted in the sense of like, we need to be more aware and start recognizing um, the talents that we haven't been for uh, for an industry's uh, lifetime, um, particularly with stunts. And I think there's even been, you know, talk and rumor about having conversations of awarding best trailers. Um, what are your thoughts on something like that? Uh, on um, adjusting the criteria to, um, to uh, illuminate and, and highlight those in our industry that are of diverse backgrounds? Is that what you're referring to? Well, uh, I mean, more of like, a, I don't think there's currently a, a category for Academy Award for best trailer. For a film or for a oh oh in the in the actual academy in academy awards yeah and I I think there there's been somewhat of like a social media conversation bubbling of like they should do this because it is an art form and I think what you've kind of talked about so far is that you can follow a particular you know editors or a trailer park a trailer 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 movie trailers creation and see how they've grown and I think that's something that should be recognized more oh I'd love it man I'd absolutely love it there are two intra-industry awards shows, the Golden Trailer Awards and our um, presenting partners, the Clios, um, they, you know, so there are times to recognize the work of, of the prior year, uh, but that's just for our industry. But I mean, I would love it. I would absolutely positively love it if there was, at least within the entertainment industry more broadly, mm-hmm. a recognition of, of the work. I don't know. I'd like to think that there would be support for it because even, even compared to when I first got into the industry, um, filmmakers themselves are a heck of a lot more involved in the process of creative advertising than they were. Now there were individuals, um, uh, 20 years ago that, that were getting involved and sitting in a bay. You heard stories about, you know, Mike Myers and Sandler, you know, showing up to a bay. Um, but that was definitely the exception to the rule. But now there's there's quite a few that at the very least are going to be on a fiber with with an editor and a producer who are making their trailer. So yeah. I think that's a good thing. And if if there's a way to, you know, and even even just in the credits, like just recently, I yeah. forget how many years it's been, but like I was sitting through the Marvel credits and I saw Ibby's, uh, John Ibsen, who at Disney um, and Frank Kiyoki, his boss at Disney, um, in creative advertising there. I saw them in the credits. I'm like, well, yeah, it's mm-hmm. about time. You know, they, you know, they helped to bring this $200 million IP to the public. Like yeah. they should be recognized at the very least in one of the 12,000 names. <laughs> you exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah. You no. know, do you have a line for, for my boys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? No. I mean, and that's the thing with particularly at least with Marvel or anything that's Disney, like, you know, when it's coming out. Like yeah. the whole world knows. And I think, again, to your point, like it's because of individuals who, you know, take this IP and, you know, make sure that people are going to be sitting in seats for it. So, yeah, it needs yeah to be recognized. I would love it, man. Yeah. yeah. It's not just about giving a, I don't want to say a summary, but it's, it's not just about that. It's, 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 and you don't want to give away the, there's a, there's a, there's a subtle dance that has to happen with a trailer of not crossing a line of too much, but also, getting you pumped for that thing. So something like a Marvel trailer or even something like um, Dunkirk or something like that, that has great, like, or even if you look at old like horror trailers or stuff like that, where you're just like, there's, there's a, there's a dance 
that has to be that has to be done and so um yeah i it's fascinating to me uh everybody at home i really do suggest that if if you're at all interested like even if you're not check it out check out trailer geeks and teaser gods like there's some fascinating stories and what i find fascinating about it too is like a lot of them are filmmakers yeah that started there and that's i think that's fascinating because it it is it's a it's a film art you know it's it is yeah. something that the you having those skills is beneficial of like not only how to write a movie but how do you sell a movie you know what i mean like like coming up yeah. with an elevator pitch you know that's that's one mm. of the hardest parts of of a script is like one of them i know that there's a lot <laughs> but <laughs> you know it's like now how do i tell somebody about this in 2 minutes or less right like yeah so there, there's definitely a lot of function there but if you don't have good form you're 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 lost you know yeah um, a lot of folks have talked about it's you have to make the audience feel something yeah you know um so yeah there's there's a lot of competing responsibilities uh for the trailer maker yeah um it's so, it's yeah. huge it, it sets the precedent of what audiences can expect or subvert you know and uh i think that's you know it's 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 the movie before the movie and uh i i, I did want to trade some notes actually from uh host to host and i asked this question in our digital green room before we started recording was um uh, you, you you typically have a lot of guests on your show, and I think that's something that our nerd on audience would just love, just to have different voices coming in, and and you being a consistent one to have conversations with. Uh, we are also no stranger to having uh guests on our show and uh talking to them. How much? Uh, and you kind of talked about it a little bit, but what is like the the most research you've had to do uh before a guest came on? Oh gosh, well. <laughs> There was a recent one. Um, there's it, the the episode hasn't been released yet. The there's a man named Joel Wayne who ran creative advertising for Warner Brothers for about 24, 25 years. Wow! And he <laughs> Joel is great. He's like he's in his eighties now. He's fantastic. So I said, Joel, I, I know some of the campaigns that you worked on between 1980 and 2004. And he's an absolute legend in the industry. Um, but I said, if, I don't know if you, if you have a chance do this, if not, I'll just talk to mutual friends and find out what they worked on with you. And I'll develop a list of the campaigns that you've worked on a day later. Joel submits this list of 302 campaigns. Whoa. <laughs> between 1980 and 2004. I'm like, oh shit, I got a lot of work to do. Wow. But that's somebody that like, you know, if you had, I used the baseball reference before, but I'll use it another one. If like, if you had the chance to interview um, Derek Jeter or um, in my Murphy. case, uh, Tom Seaver, may he rest in peace. Hmm. I I'm going to do a shit load of research. That guy is literally a hall of famer, you know, uh, and, and until actually, coincidentally, until Derek Jeter was in, got into the Hall of Fame, he had the highest percentage of votes to get into the Hall of Fame. Tom Seaver, imagine interviewing that guy. Um, you, you're you're not going to go to that party without putting your A game on. So we had Joel on, and I wasn't even that was one of the first ones where I was the main interviewer. I was 
Um, I was more of the uh, Robin, G- what's her name? Uh, Howard Stern's Ro- Robin Givens. Yeah. Is that her name? Yeah, yeah. So I was more of the Robin Givens or the Ed <laughs> McMahon to Johnny Carson in that one. But even still, I wanted to know my stuff for that one. So that was, yeah, 302 campaigns. <laughs> wow. wow. That's a lot. That is a yeah. lot. Um, yeah, I, I always relate it to kind of like going on a date and just trying to have as much in your tool belt as possible. It's like, oh, we could talk about this. We could talk about that. We could talk about this. And, you know, uh, I think there is a you know kindred spirit between host and host of like having like our guests come into the show and having a good time. Yeah. Um, not I mean, that's like- what we, I mean, with Nerd On, our very first guest, we did it interview style. Like just like questions, answer, question, answer, that kind of thing. And we realized we just, it was boring. <laughs> and so what we did was we were like, we, we kind of went to the drawing board and we were like, what if, what if we had our guests come on and talk about something that they're nerdy about? And so <laughs> we've had Kevin Conroy, who was the voice of Bat, who has been the voice of Batman for 30 years. We've had Jonathan Frakes from Star Trek, the next generation, oh, wow. Billy West. Um, and yes, of course we interview them because we're nerds. We want to talk to these these people and ask questions about what they do. But we also get to spend some of our show talking about something that they're nerdy about. And I'm going to use this as a segue. You, you buried a lead, though. Didn't you interview Mark Hamill at one point? No. No. Wait, what was that But for? I was have that, emailed with him. I will, <laughs> I will have that flex. I, <laughs> I worked with... Oh, I did work with Mark Hamill um, when I was an assistant engineer at a studio. Um, he was in the VO booth and I got to be there in the session and, and whatnot. Um, and then I broke my rule of like, can I take a picture? (laughs) (laughs) So that's on my website, but yeah, that's, uh, it's, um, but yeah, he's a, he's a dream guest. So Mark, if you're listening, um, or watching, we know you are, we know you are, (laughs) you're welcome here. We would love to have you. Um, but I'm going to use this as a segue into the next part of our show in which, um, yeah, we interview our guests about something that they're nerdy about. And okay, uh, Corey, uh, I asked him the question of like, favorite movie, are you a comic book reader? This, 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 this. And um, he listed a number of things, but he was like, you know, one thing that I don't talk about, uh, don't get to talk about is acting. Because you, you went to college for acting? Is that the, yes? Uh, I went to a theater conservatory, a small theater conservatory in New York. And then I, I continued studying when I was, when I got out here. It was the last year that Stella Adler was alive. Mm. Um, but then I continued oh, wow. for another four years after that with the lady who um, took the torch from her, Joanne Linville. Um, you know, so my, my generation of those guys, uh, that, that motley crew, crazy bunch of creative, beautiful people was um, Ruffalo, uh, Sarah Geller, um, Benicio del Toro was just before us. Um, there, there was, there was a good crop and believe it or not, the, 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 the best actors among us, they, they were great. They were all great. Um, but some of the best actors among us, we've never, uh, we heard of, but like the, the world yeah. hasn't heard of. Yeah. Not yet. So. There's a lot of talent out there. And, um, so kind of the, the, the overarching topic here is kind of the, it's, it's just like a general, uh, conversation about the art of acting, but also, We'll get into a little bit of like talking about our favorites of who we who excel excels in in our in our world. Tom, Tom, you got a cheeky cheeky smile. 
<laughs> I have to ask. I have to ask. Okay, because 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 because. All right, hold on. Because you know this isn't our first time. We've had other uh, shows uh, and uh, collaborate together. And this is also your first Rodeo Drive. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is also not the first time that um, the guest um, show collaborator collaborator um, breaks the wheel of like what are we talking about? So I want to just go over the rules really quick. Okay. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I'm 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 like, hey, look, I like conventions and then breaking them if you know how to break them. Um, okay. That's just a filmmaker, right? Uh, dead or alive actors. Oh. Oh shit! Oh, I okay. only did alive. Oh no! So, wait, so what I'm saying, you know, one I'm is saying, dead. I'm like, one is dead. Okay, one is. Dead. I have one on my list is dead. Okay, and then okay, cool. So there's that, and then uh, that, that's all I really wanted to ask because it doesn't change anything for me. So okay, <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So so, so wait, also, so also are we gonna it? go round robin or what? Well, what, how? what I want I want to open the conversation first of like, what is it about acting? Like what it like to me? It's a I went to college for it, so I studied it for hours and devoted my my time, my time and money, Your life to my life to, and it's still something that I view as something important in my life, even if I haven't been on a stage in a while or in front of a camera. Well, actually, I am in front of a camera. Shout out to YouTube all the time. Um, <laughs> um, you know what is what is it about acting? What is I mean? It's an art form. It's what like what's yeah. the importance of it? Like. Like what do you what do you think like to you? So Corey? the um, in Stanislavski's books, Stanislavski, a lot of people would say was the founder of method acting, right? Yep. This guy from the Lasko Art Theater, um, who influenced uh, great teachers here like Stella Adler, Sandy Meisner, Lee Strasberg. So um, Stanislavski would talk about Duza's blush. Uh, he went to a performance of I, I think it was Romeo R- Romeo and Juliet. Um, and, uh, he saw two different performances. One was Sarah Bernhard. I always confuse her name with the comedian, the contemporary comedian. Anyway, one was this great, um, uh, actress, very performative. The other was Eleanor Duza and Eleanor Duza's performance was so different. It wasn't presentational. Um, it was, um, it was experienced to the point where she had these involuntary reactions, such as at one point blushing, something you just can't fake. And Stanislavski, I'm oversimplifying the stories, devoted his work for the rest of his life to figuring out a method to give actors of how to recreate this night after night after night. I had an experience like that. And the first person on my list is someone who is known in New York theater circles. Um, but I, I went to, but she's not widely known outside of that. Um, I, she was about two years behind me in a, a, a high school performing arts program. Um, we went, we went to the same high school together. Um, and, uh, her name's Okwi Opakwasili and she, Okwi Chuko Odanya Opakwasili. Uh, anyway, I, I memorized that. It is, I made it my life's my life's work to figure out how to say her name. Anyway. Um, no, Okwi uh, played Titania uh, in A Midsummer Night's Dream. And there was an Eleanor's, Eleanor Duza's blush moment, that, that famous speech where she starts and she disrupts Oberon and she says, set your heart at rest. And I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Okwi, like, 
I, I saw that living truthfully, imaginatively, and powerfully in the imaginary circumstances of, the, of Shakespeare, of the writer. And I said, man, this is a worthy pursuit. So that, I don't know if that answers your question. No, I think so. That was I... an Eleanor Deuce's blush moment for me. You got yes. two for one right there. Yeah. <laughs> Answer it and your first one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I mean, yeah. Do we do we want to go round robin with it or talk a little bit about each why they're on our well, list? Well, I mean, I I'm interested to like. Um, I, I think it's interesting to get kind of perspectives because Corey and I have acting experience, and and Tom, you're the Thanks, directing man. experience. <laughs> um, so, I, can I, I can I add to that a little bit though? Yeah. I have been told to, I've been asked by so many of my actor friends to act in things. And I say, no, because I, I find from a director standpoint, the, the stage is a sacred place. Um, and I, I think as much as it's a place to have fun and make up things, uh, I think there is a little bit of respect that needs to happen, especially when I'm, you know, in the, in the video chat, I'm in between two Actors, two people who have studied it and have lived it and have been um, so willing to um, live live these characters out, um, and so I don't. I find it a heavy, heavy, heavy responsibility. Um, and so when someone's like, "You should just be it," and it's like, "No," like I I pick my actors very, very like carefully, and I I, I go through auditions, and sometimes I, I it's like I wrote this for you because you. I've seen what you've done and just kind of just insert myself to have some kind of like, I feel like egotistical like line uh, irks me a lot. If there is something that's meant to be and it's like cheeky, then sure. If you, if it's in the story and it helps the story, then sure. But I, I just find that um, from a writer director standpoint, I wrote this character and then I am now asking a, an actor to, become this person and it's mm-hmm. it's scary I, I think it's honestly scary and and you know they are gonna now share the responsibility that i have of telling the story being part of this framework and uh it, it's it's like now this is yours too and now everything that you have lived through and you have experienced will become part of this you are now adding to the tapestry which is this character that is from my brain and heart onto the screen and it, you know that's why it's just like you should be in it. It's like, ah, ah, I, I, I can't. I'll have someone who looks like me who's an actor <laughs> to be in there as a cameo. But yeah. Did, did you ever did you ever write a character and imagine that character one way and then an actor showed up and did a reading that looked completely different than what you originally imagined and you just had to cast that completely different looking? It's that, So that's happened for you? Yeah, it's been some of my favorite uh, decisions of being like, you know what? I did not see that coming. And I was yeah. with people like the producers on the, on the project. And they're like, I don't really know. It's like, it's not really what you wrote. It's like, yeah, but look what they're bringing into it. Right. Look at this like dimension that I didn't even think that was, we were going to add into it. And now it creates a nuance that I now need to have. And yeah. we can work upon yeah. that. And I, I, I was there for it. And I think there is that, you know, relationship that, you know, r- creator, and collaborator must have in order to be like, hey, this is, you know, as much as you want to be an auteur, but it's like, let's make the magic together and become, yeah. you know, better than what we both expected it to be. So yeah. I don't know if it's an apocryphal story, but I, I'd heard that 
The Graduate was originally written for someone who looks more like Robert Redford, mm-hmm. but Dustin Hoffman came in and gave this brilliant reading and they ended up casting him. Uh, that doesn't surprise me just because the casting is a little weird that everyone's just like 10 years older than Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah but I mean, go ahead, Josh. I, I was just going to say, I mean, acting for me, it was such a, it's a, it's an experience. Like I, 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 the, the, the acting teachers that I remember, I, I remember so like fondly and just like come straight to my head are the ones that really like affected me in terms of the way that I did. And the sounds so weird and I feel weird saying it, but it, it's a craft like the, this, the, the, of that helped my craft when I was practicing it of like, of what to think about and how to prepare. And like Stanislavski was a part of that kind of like the sense memory, that kind of stuff. And, you know, there is a technical side of acting, of course. There's memorizing lines, there's blocking. But then there's that next step that is like, not to like at all, like pat my back, on, pat myself on the shoulder or pat anybody. It's like, it's the part where you're brave enough to cross the line of like living that character. But there's also like, I had one acting teacher say this to me that blew my mind was trying to think of characters like yourself like that that i always found to be like interesting of like don't always try to pretend like mm. that you're somebody else but be yourself in that character i don't know there's a lot there's a lot there's that, 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 so <laughs> that that was an epiphany at a certain point is that you you can do you better than anybody else can do you and you can do you better than you can do anybody else. So that, that's what you have to offer. So it's not to say that you can't, that you're not supposed to create a character, build a character, if you will, or create a role, as Stanislavski said, build a character, create a role. Um, but, but you have more of yourself to give than anything else that you have to offer. You know, so it's another way of saying what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think what that sentiment kind of goes back to, I, not that goes back, but it, it goes back to something I always think about in terms of like directing style. And, you know, I always say like, we, I have a lot of friends who, um, they always say that they try to bow out of any type of film conversation that I have. Um, because there's like, I just didn't study it and I'm not going to keep up. And I was like, when I say style, just think if Wes Anderson was told to direct Jurassic Park, different movie, <laughs> and it's very like, different movie. Like that's all you totally need to know. It's different like, movie. And it's like the directors that have the style, whether you like it or not, are like very skilled in their craft. And I would say the same thing with actors, right? Like you can I'm now imagining <laughs> v- v- velociraptors with dry senses of humor and just all you know nicely framed up and everything like that just gets Beautifully framed. Um, but I, that goes in line with actors, right? Like I think of one all the time of like any, you know, any Tarantino film, and you have oh, someone else man. play Samuel Jackson's character. And you're like, it would be a totally different movie Um, yeah and i think there is that again a little balance and melody i was talking to a a friend who has done some time some acting and his approach was he wants to be that that mold he wants to be like you give me the character and i'll become that character where i find a little bit of the balance of like this is the framework you could work within the framework like find your place within it 
Um, if I say, you know, go up, go down, you know, I'll, I'll push you around and all that stuff. But, yeah. you know, it's a collaborative piece at this point. I mean, but there's also kind of like a, there's another part of acting, like scene study. Like, I mean, you're, you, the, the words come to you uh, on the script, obviously. But like, you'll, you'll read a script and sometimes as an actor, you're finding the hidden messages. Um, like you're finding the hidden thing. Like sometimes you're, you're building that character within yourself of like, who is this person? It's not just what's on the page because you have to bring somebody to life. Like you're not just saying the word, like the words, uh, there's like subtext. So that's why it's beautiful to, to Corey, to your point of like, each person is going to read the same exact script and yeah. get different interpretations of like, oh, well, I got this from it. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's just so interesting that you never know what those roles were. And then you have the people that made them what they are, made the role something. It's like, I don't know. It's interesting to watch like different uh, productions of the same thing, like watching different mm. Hamlets, oh, watching yes. different uh, proofs, watching yeah. different, all these kinds of different things of like, you know, it's, it's, and to separate it and not go, oh, well, that was a bad performance. No, that was just a different, that was a different performance of this. So it's, it's so, just, yeah. To Tom's point, there are certain moments in film where that collaboration between director, actor, and the rest of the orchestra, the rest of the set, um, it really clicks. And sometimes it's when accidents happen. Um, so one of the greatest, uh, well, actually two, now, now I think of it, two of the greatest, most iconic film scenes of all time. One was on the water, uh, yeah, it was on the waterfront, back of the cab scene, Brando and Steiger. Mm -hmm. um, that, famous soliloquy was improvised in response to an accident that happened. Oh, yeah. No, I know the story. Yeah. So did, did, did you, did you read Kazan's autobiography? Cause it's in there. No, I don't know if it's in Brando's. I, I watched it on a video essay and they were talking about, it was just talking about the relationship between director and actor. And it was talking about how they they had the accident beforehand. So I was like, Oh, okay. But where yeah, the film ahead. broke, there was supposed to be a film playing behind it to make it look like they were going through the old neighborhood. And uh, it wasn't, Spiegel was the um, the producer. I forgot the writer's name. He's from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Anyway, his he had this beautiful script written about the old neighborhood. The film breaks up and Steiger and Brando were like, ah, no, come on, you can't do the scene, you know? But Kazan, being a creative director, said, I'll come up with a solution, we'll do the scene. So he gets that Venetian blind that they used to have in the old cabs in New York and puts in, he's like, go do the scene. But at that point, Steiger and Brando were too far gone. They were like, no, nah, no, nah, we're going to do our scene. We're going to do. And Kazan trusted that he had actors that could pull that off. I, some of this, I, I, I had the greatest gift. I, I fucking hated my life. The year that I had to be a limo driver, I just, I hated the world. I hated the universe. I hated myself. I hated everything about everything. But that whole year was worth it because I got Rod Steiger for a day. Whoa. Um, got wow. Steiger in the back of my limit. And he was a crazy old coot by that time. But <laughs> I, I had just finished Kazan's autobiography. So I knew a little bit about that story. I asked him about that. <laughs> and, and he said, yeah. So we improvised it. And I don't know if this was in Kazan's telling of the story, but when um, Steiger's character pulls out the gun, um, he, he said that that wasn't written anywhere. I wasn't supposed to do that, but 
but he said, I knew that I had Marlon who'd be able to work off of it. But he goes, but he goes, um, but I, I made a plan, you know, didn't write a script per se, but he had a plan for two possibilities, either fear or anger. And he could go with one of those two routes, but he goes, that motherfucker took it a whole other direction. You know? <laughs> he, goes, he goes, he went, he went hurt. He got hurt. I was his big brother and, and I'm pulling a gun out. And that's where that soliloquy. Oh, Charlie, you should have looked up yeah. just a little bit. Oh, Charlie, you know, like that whole thing. I could have been a somebody, I could have been a contender. Yeah. You know, that whole thing was because Steiger wanted to give his acting partner a surprise. And they had a director that was wise enough to trust them as actors that they'd come up with something, pulls out the gun. And he just takes that, you know, the, and pushes, Oh, Charlie, Charlie, you know, like that's where that came from. That's but awesome. Steiger said he was, he didn't talk to Brenda to that day because we, we all knew everybody on the set knew it was magic. So, you know, we did that a few times. We do a few close-ups. You get a few different shots. And then he goes, he goes, that, that motherfucker, he pulled a political <laughs> Brando. He goes, he goes, I'm tired. I can't do, I can't do any more today. And he leaves. So Steiger had to do all his close-ups without, <laughs> without his acting <laughs> partner there. Whoa. Yeah. That's but awesome. the other one was Taxi Driver. The, you know, it, I, it was, um, was that Scorsese's third film or fourth film? I thought it was third. So, yeah. So um, that, uh, are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. In the in the original script, it was just uh, I forget how it was originally written, but it was basically um, what's his, what's Brando's character uh, De Niro's character's name? Um, Travis. No. Yeah, Travis Bickle. Yeah. Travis, you right. So it's just like Travis Bickle looks in the mirror. Something really brief, you know. But but <laughs> Scorsese says, "No, just keep rolling. Let's see what he does." You know, and they just keep rolling, and and De Niro just like starts starts going in like he's in there you know and he starts going into it and he's imagining himself in that situation you know you know and just and that's how it played out but it, none of that was written it was just a, a a smart wise director that was willing to take a ride with an actor who knew that what the fuck he was doing you know like that's just bold man and some some of our most iconic moments in film history yeah yeah so why don't we um Sorry. No, no. I, I love it. It's, it's, I'm going up. It. I got my nerd on. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> ding, ding. So, um, yeah, let's go round robin. Um, uh, five. It's our, our, fa- our top five actors or actresses. Um, and I got to admit, as Tom knows, narrowing things down. For oh, me yeah. It's kryptonite. Is, it's like <laughs> my life is over. I, I, I got to take somebody off of this. No, I don't want to take somebody off of this list. But just be method <laughs> that you have to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to, I'll start us off. Um, fa- one of my favorite actors of all time, um, R.I.P. Um, his pure range and heart and humor, Robin Williams. Mm. I um, To watch something, one of my favorite Robin Williams movies is Good Morning Vietnam. I just, that's a movie, it's just, it's heartfelt. But to see somebody be able to, the range that Robin had of being able to see something like Aladdin or Mrs. Doubtfire, which Mrs. Doubtfire has its very heartful moments. Um, yeah. Check out our episode recently 
with uh, Bob Bergen. We talk about Mrs. Oh. Doubtfire. Uh, yeah. Goodwill Hunting then, has great. Goodwill improv. Hunting. Yeah. Um, Patch Adams. Um, Dead well, Poets Society. Early, one of his early film works. I think he was. Were they still doing Morgan Mindy when he did The World According to Garp? I think so. That's not what you would have expected for one of his early films, right? But yeah. that was with talk about heart. Yeah. You know? So it's just, I mean, it's, yeah, that, that Robin, he is one of the few people, uh, one of the few celebrities, I will say, that has, when they died, affected me. Mm. Like it really made me go, I, my heart sank. And anytime I see like, there's a new documentary that's out uh, about him and his, like his last few years of his, what I, basically they're talking about what his brain chemistry was like. Right. Um, and I, I can't, I haven't been able to bring myself to watch it yet. Um, but anytime I see something with his face on it, with his name on it, I'm just like, I just remember being a kid and, and, and even being uh, when I was studying acting of just like watching those kinds of things and being like, yeah, that's, that's something that is, yeah. that is, that's lightning. Next. <laughs> um, so Corey, you already, you already went with your first one. So I'll, I'll go with my first one. Um, I, 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 I don't know which order I should go. There's no particular order. What's no particular order um, for me. And if you <laughs> if you've listened to this show before, if you know who, who I am, you know I am a Batman shill, <laughs> um, yep. and it's uh, <laughs> it's not pretty. Um, but uh, it, th- I actually started really loving this actor outside of his portrayal of Batman, and I'm talking about a uh, Christian Bale. Yeah, oh, I thought um, Bill Kilmer. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know <laughs> what? That was my fir- that was my first Batman. That was actually my first Batman, but. Um, Christian Bale, uh, I actually started really, really enjoying him. Um, and I think this is like not the particular, like the traditional, what people would have been like, oh, this movie, this movie. It was The Prestige, um, oh, which was yeah. Christopher Nolan's fourth film. Okay. Um, right. And that, that happens to be my favorite film. Um, but the thing that I really, I think that, that, that gravitated me towards him in particular, I mean, obviously, I was a kid when I watched the film, so I was like, "Oh, look, it's Batman and Wolverine with Black Widow and Alfred." And you know, so it was, like, it was <laughs> you know, my brain just went there. But um, with the Prestige, however, um, just talking about a, an actor who kind of goes there. One, you know, after watching the film one or one or a few times, I then started like looking into his body of work um, with the Machinist, Reign of Fire. Um, uh, I forget the film where he is a uh, a POW. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Where him where and he, Steve's he, on, yeah, and and they're just just skinny guys at the end of the movie. Yeah, it wasn't so much the loss of weight; it was the scene where he was eating maggots. Yeah. I'm like, that dude is really getting into it. Um, I mean, to see something <laughs> like committed. the Machinist, yeah, the Machinist, and then his next movie is Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you're like, I mean the the devotion, like that. Yeah, and I think there's a thing where a lot of people are like he's the you know human trans you know transformer and like at the time of this recording you know the Dune trailer just came out and everyone's like did you guys see Christian Bale? They were like who who are you talking about? I was like he gained seven thousand pounds to be the worm. <laughs> so it's like those kind of things. And uh, you know the, you know he transforms for the role, which is never I think really asked about at least so far in the interviews that I've watched of the different directors. Like they never say like you have to do this. Um, yeah. It's like we can we can figure out a way. Um, but he just finds it like natural within his process. So he's definitely probably read a book or two. But um, in Prestige, however, 
there was this unsettling rage and unhappiness that his character, uh, Alfred Borden, um, has that really resonated with me. It, it became an identifying characteristic um, that I really loved that there was somebody who was from the scraps who had an idea, who had a passion, who had a focus and was going to do whatever it took to get out of the slums and get out, of, you know, be, have a life and have a family. And I've, I've just kind of seen that same level of like, there is always this interior monologue that he does so well within his character and his delivery of his, his lines um, in all his uh, roles that he's portrayed. So uh, Christian Bale is, you know, top or the first one I'll, I'll let I'll say, you know, not maybe the top, but Corey, what's what you got next? When, when you get a chance, watch, uh, if you haven't watch velvet Goldmine. Uh, he's in it, but also Ewan McGregor's in it. Jonathan Reese Myers, okay. uh, Eddie Izzard. It's it's so good. Right. Anyway, Corey, <laughs> you're next. Can I pick up on the Christian Bale thing for a Please. second? Please, I could bail so, out all day. Um, so I was friendly with his sister and his dad. Uh, his sister was doing theater with us, um, and she's freaking brilliant, brilliant director, brilliant, just brilliant everything. Um, and, and their dad, David, was very supportive of the, the work that we were doing. And this was a time in, in Christian's life when he was in between his kid career and his adult career. Mm. Um, and they were very, very mindful about which direction he would go because he did this Spielberg thing that was really uh, Empire of the Sun was a really yeah. um, profound film, maybe even underappreciated. Uh, Newsies was very popular. So there was an opportunity for him to go the popcorn route very much. Yeah. Stardom and riches. Um, but they chose a different direction. Um, that when we were hanging out, that was the time when he took, I forget which one came first, American Psycho or Midsummer Night's Dream, but. Um, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. It was a Midsummer Night. Yeah. So he was probably just coming back from that, but they specifically chose that one um, because he could get around a director, get around other actors, in particular Kevin Klein, that he wanted to be, um, that he wanted to learn something from. Um, instead of, you know, some shaggy dog three or so, I, you know, I don't know what it yeah. would have been, but it would have been a total commercial choice that would have made him quite wealthy and, and maybe got on some more magazine covers. But those movies are the ones he chose. Um, and I think that set a good... Um, standard uh, for the choices that he would make as as an adult. Um, so yeah, that that just always impressed me that he had the opportunity, but he eschewed those opportunities to make uh, to make choices to fulfill a, a greater desire, a deeper desire to eschew the vanity and the fame and the fortune potentially, um, or at least delay those things uh, because there was great literature to bring to life, or yeah. a, you know, a great book to bring to the to the screen you know yeah uh, in the case of american psycho so i really i always respected that about him yeah in a lot of his interviews he does not he steers away from ever talking about his personal life because he's like the less you know more about me the more you'll know about the character and yeah that's that's interesting i've always really respected that because you know yeah there is you know star theory which i studied in school which is you know you stop looking at the the character you start looking at the actor more you know it's like oh that's not dr stone that's the rock you know like right. there, there's those things that happen and it's just unfortunately sometimes how our our primal brain our lizard brain 
um, has a viewing habit. You know, we just yeah. start seeing the person and not the actor. And so, right. uh, you know, Christian Bale embodies that chameleon in that sense. Well, the uh, the top of my list, obviously I said Oakley, mm-hmm. um, but the, the person that I'll just continue to study and try to reverse engineer and deconstruct his work is DDL, uh, da- Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, oh my God. He was on my list and I was like, God, I got to remove him. Drink your milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so DDL, um, speaking about transformation uh, into the character, I heard him talk about his his performance of Lincoln. He does very few interviews, um, but it was so, uh, it, it really warmed my heart to hear how, how and why, uh, to hear about his preparation for that role. Um, a lot of, we hear about a, a lot of great actors who lose all kinds of weight, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. For him, it wasn't about the losing the weight, almost as if it was like his trophy and, you know, whatever of, I'm a great actor now. For him, it was more about the collaboration. It was he felt that he needed to provide a good frame for the other artists that were working on the film, uh, in particular, the costume designers, you know, to, to have a good frame for them to do their work, you know? And I thought that was really, really revealing because he understood that film at his best is a collaborative art. Yes. Um, you know, so he, so he needs to do his job in order for the other artists to do their best work. But um, what, from an actor standpoint, uh, there's again, this is a total oversimplification, but there's often thought of as the um, exterior, uh, the Lawrence Olivier perfected this art of, you know, finding the nose and finding the shoes and finding the stature and, you know, and his, his job was, was making sure that he looked like and sounded like the character. Then method, and again, this this is not act, totally accurate, but it's thought of as internal out. Where you know, I'm not a big Strasbourg fan, but you know, uh, relive the death of your grandfather a thousand times so you can find that tear, you know, and and uh, we so we can get that shot. Yeah. Um, but Daniel Day Lewis has like a 10th degree black belt, yeah. internal, external, and several art forms that I'm not even, I, I don't even, I'm not even aware of. Yeah. I'm you not know, even brings, equipped. <laughs> seriously. I, I can't even, I can't like even Brando like, and I'll get to Brando, but like even Brando, I watch his performances and I, I speak that language. I know, I know what he's doing. I see it like not to, not to make too much of myself as an actor or a student of acting, but like, I see what he's doing. I see what De Niro, I see what, Pacino, I see what those guys are doing, but DDL, I, I, I can't like his work, his work in Gangs of New York. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, yeah. That, that, that moment when uh, DiCaprio's character wakes up and sees, sees him there, sees uh, Bill the Butcher there. Um, and that little soliloquy he rolls out with, like, I can't, I can't even begin to approach that. Like, so I just need to submit myself to that character and, and just enjoy the brilliance of it, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it feels um, like he should just be the title of the movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Daniel played like he went on a run where it was like the PT Anderson movie yeah. that he did, the, the uh. Scorsese, like the directors he worked with, the Lincoln, like, you know, and that was, that was after like a decade and a half of like my left foot and the boxer and like, yeah. and he hasn't been on a lot of films. 
And that's well, the thing, the thing you're kind of talking about with Christian Bale. It's like very particular with the roles, not just going for yeah. like, well, will make me a lot of money and get me all this acclaim. So. Yeah. 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 So, man, uh, I'll take I'll take DDL. Yeah. <laughs> Josh says back. Uh, yeah. Um, number one that has been probably on my list and was always somebody I aspired to, uh, Tom Hanks. Mm. Uh, another person that uh, the range that I just I think that it's always fascinating to me when somebody can go um, from a comedy to a drama and that kind of thing uh, but the thing that I think is in my personal opinion of like a crowning achievement is Castaway um, oh because okay. If you watch it, I mean, most of the movies on the island and a lot of it is unspoken or there isn't another character. And if it is, it's an inanimate object. And for me to make you feel something with a scene between a person, one person and an inanimate object mm. and to feel that, um, cause I can't even begin to, um, understand the idea of like cabin fever or going in well actually now <laughs> <laughs> um you know there, there there's a certain amount of insanity kind of uh, like the, with that movie that i just was always just like i just w always respected him with that one and you know things like forrest gump saving private ryan big the burbs i mean there are movies that are just like in my brain, like perfect movies in my head that I'm just like, I will watch that again and again and again. And oftentimes it's just watching Tom Hanks do the thing. Mm -hmm. you know, if just, there's just, a perfect scene in film, it's the scene where his character in Philadelphia is breaking oh, down the, op the opera. You know, you know which yeah, one I'm talking about. I just about, watched right? it like maybe a month ago. Uh, I'm getting chills. That's another one. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and if you haven't if you haven't experienced it, it's it's worth watching. That obviously the, the movie is a great movie, but yeah, if you're a student of acting, if you're a student of filmmaking, because the angles and the lighting that the director chose um, yeah. for that scene That's just a, really I mean, mise en scène, baby. You also have, I mean, another amazing actor, Denzel Washington. And Denzel, are you, are you Denzel. adding a another another no, one? No, I had to remove Denzel. <laughs> Dude, he was on my list, but I had to remove him. I, I was only allowed five. I know you made it so hard, Corey. Sorry, Denzel. I kind no, of can put we, those can we things, pause for we, a second and what? just say I talk about a moment in film, like when when I saw um uh, what was this, the uh, revolutionary? No, 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 Glory, the, Glory. Thank you. Oh, um, Glory is the, it the whip Civil War film? The whip, and and he just. He starts out with a, with a, he takes his shirt off, puts his hands up, and then the whip, and, and the one tear, the one tear. Mm -hmm. But then he just, oh, he just man. stone looking into um, a Simba's face. Oh, <laughs> and, and yeah, I remember watching that in high school and being like, this is what movies can be. I, I, yes. I mean, I shouldn't even, even have done five because we're going to be here for hours. Yeah, we are. <laughs> it's going to be the, the four hour special. We're doing our top hundred. <laughs> uh, I can go next if you yeah. if you're. Uh, so I, I'm gonna switch it. I had this list and I'm like, oh, I'll do it in this order. But you know what? I'm gonna switch it up, baby. Um, and this one's not gonna be too long of a, an explanation. But um, it's this is kind of more of a recent um, actor actor actress that I've been I've been following um, recently. Uh, Karen Fukuhara. 
Um, oh. She portrays um, the girl in The Boys. And she's oh, also Katana okay. in Suicide Squad. And she probably has other works that I, I'm, I'm not listing right now. Um, but one, real quick, represent Asian homies. Um, but two, um, just recently in this season of The Boys that I've been watching, um, she's a mute character. So she doesn't speak uh, vocally with her, with her voice and all this stuff. But she signs. Um, and there's a moment that I just saw recently. And... Uh, I I don't. I think there's people who've watched more films and TV than I have, and you know that's just easy just by being like older than me. Um, but I have watched a good handful, especially when I think of like who is coming up, who are the award winners, who are the people that aren't being talked about, and uh, who are the people of different um ethnic and um sexual orientations, right? Um, so watching Karen Fukuhara recently in The Boys season two, there is a moment where she's having this conversation through sign and you're reading the captions um, with another character. And it, it, it broke me for a second and she didn't have to say a word. And that was something that I was just like, you know, I can't deny the amount of talent required in someone. And she's not, you know, she might be young in terms of biological age, but it just feels like this is not an easy feat to do. This is years and years and years of dedication to the craft. And uh, so w- watching that, she's definitely now like skyrocketed up. And also, again, this top five thing is really hard. It's hard for me to not pick anyone from the cast of the Watchmen show because that's my favorite show uh, like the last two years. So, um, but yeah, that's my number two, Karen Fukuhara. Qu- Corey? <laughs> All right. Well, I, I mentioned Brando. I, he's, I think if it's possible to underappreciate Brando, he's underappreciated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's because it's too easy to dismiss him for diction that he chose to use on a couple of his more popular, uh, widely seen films. But if you look at that same time period, like he, he was, he chose a certain diction for, um, it wasn't his first film, it was the, uh, the second film, uh, Streetcar. Um, but even if you watched his first film, the men, um, and then the film that came right after that, uh, it, I think it was another Kazan film, Viva Zapata. Was that the Kazan film? I might be wrong about that. I'm not, but like he was, he, he, he made choices with his diction, you know? And then in that same time period, I think within a couple of years, he did Caesar. He played Mark Antony and Caesar, uh, within a couple of years after streetcar. So the notion that, that you, you see one iconic scene from um, the wild one and then the other iconic scene, Stella, you know, from streetcar. Um, and, 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 oh yeah, you just didn't use it. Well, you, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, so you look at the characters that he created and he embodied and the range there was, there's one, um, if you ever get a chance, watch young lions. Um, he plays this German soldier in the young lions it's also a good film to also compare acting methods because there's an ensemble of actors that all come from different schools. Oh yeah. So to compare what they're doing. Um, but that was one where even the way he chose to die, to create the death scene of that character, um, it was very specific, you know, the specificity and the imagination. Um, the, one of my favorite roles that he played, Anytime you get 
the combo of Brando and Tennessee Williams. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh. I, I, it just I, if I had to, if I was on a desert island, give me Brando and Tennessee Williams, you know, and, and I, I, I'm good. You know, his The Fugitive Kind, which came from uh, uh, Tennessee, rewrote it for screen uh, based on his play Orpheus Descending. And there are some moments in there where his inner life expressed through the beautiful poetry of Tennessee man that's it right there that's it you know it 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 shaped my vision of the universe because of how you can use words and and a, a, a human manifestation a, you know bringing those words to life um for um understanding the human experience with beauty you know I don't know if I'm expressing myself well, but I mean, you know, I'm not getting chills or anything. <laughs> I'll work harder. I'll work harder to get your nerd on. <laughs> Josh. Um, yeah, I'm going to go on the, uh, the other side of the pond, so to speak. Um, Olivia Coleman. Um, she is a British actress. Uh, she's known more so for recent, uh, the favorite, um, but she, she's, her, her fame mainly comes from British shows, uh, Broad Church with David Tennant, um, Peep Show, Rev. Um, I love watching her. I just, one thing that I always like, cause I've directed too, and, or even just being in an acting class of like hearing the phrase, stop acting stop acting and because you can tell when somebody's they're just performing they're just they're just ah i'm out there i'm performing but some people are just living uh in the character and olivia coleman when i watch her i'm just like you are living in this character and i just i just love watching her work uh it's just so real um and like watching interviews with her too, I'm just like, man, you got to be cool too. You got to be just this sweet person. <laughs> cool. Um, but she's somebody that I would just love to just spend some time with and just, I, that's, that, I mean, that's one thing to, to mention for me personally, like a lot of my like acting background, I really loved um, like Shakespeare and like that, that like, quote classical acting so to speak or whatever and british actors some of them are just so damn good they're <laughs> just they play so good americans too damn good. yeah yeah that dude if you've ever seen his you know the recordings of some of his stage pieces i mean that that dude you no know, he, he can he can put on a play yeah. yeah yeah he's he's uh but he was on my list had to remove him um <laughs> so olivia coleman i if you can if you just go on IMDb, look at her credits, and just watch those things. The Rev, uh, she was in... Um, shit, now I can't think of the name of it. It's She's actually, in The Lobster. Yeah, she was oh, in yeah. Lobster. Yeah. Um, okay. Why can't I think of the name of it? Uh, this is Tyrannosaurus. Huh? Tyrannosaurus. No. Or Tyrannosaur. Uh, the Crown. Uh, Fleabag. Uh, Fleabag. <laughs> Fleabag. <laughs> Fleabag. Um, it's a good show. Uh, anyway, uh, she's amazing. I a lot of times, 
uh, like a lot of the people that are on my list are often the people that have made me feel while watching them mm. that have made me just, I forget that I'm watching something. Right. Right. You're instead of witnessing something. Yeah. You know, and this yeah. is, uh, I, I just, I, I like, I like it. <laughs> Next person. It. <laughs> uh, for me, I, it's a little bit of both. Makes me get to feel, but also it is a little bit get to witness. You know what I'm saying? Um, because I, I, I love a great kind of like get this, get them a get them an Academy nomination. You know, I'm like, man, they're just putting every they're they're like someone said, if you don't act well, uh, we're going to take away your family. It's like, you know, <laughs> like they're going hard into paint. <laughs> and my next pick is uh, Mr. James McAvoy. Oh, okay. um, I, I, this, I, I was thinking about it on um, driving uh, from work to here, thinking about a lot of like, why should I pick him? And I really thought about like, in all honesty, like one of my favorite performances from him was in uh, Days of Future Past, where he has to um, play opposite of uh, Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, um, playing the same character in two different timelines. And there's a line he says is, and it's in, I, I don't know if it's in the trailer or not but it would have been really good. But I don't know if it's too much on the nose, but he says, I don't want your future. Um, and, you know, there's just snot and crying happening. I'm just like, oh my God. Like, he's he's not trying to make a good move. He's trying to get the Academy Award right here. I see you. <laughs> um, but other than that, like, outside of it, like, my first time ever watching something that he was in was Wanted. Uh, you know, we curved the bullet, you know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. it was just like, oh, who's this nerdy guy? And then just seeing him grow into any character was really wonderful. So like, you know, I think most people will remember him right now as, um, from it to chapter two, but also as Xavier. Um, but, um, one thing that I also was just like, realized like, Oh, he, he, he got it was in split with M night Shyamalan's film where he plays a character who has multiple yeah. personalities or dissociative. Yeah. And you know, in, at a dime, he switches it and like goes from, you know, headmaster, headmistress lady, to a child or from a child to like creepy guy. And so it's like, Oh man. And I just wanted to see more and more of it. And just realizing like, wow, I've seen him in other films where he's kind of like this cool guy and you'd hear his full Scottish come out and you're like, he, man, we, we, I, I when, and, when I hear him speak, I, um, my man crush just comes your out. pants get tighter. Like, <laughs> I, your white, your pants get a little whiter. I'm just like, Oh, keep speaking to me. <laughs> and I, I've recently, uh, heard him on a Sandman, uh, audiobook, And he portrays, uh, the titular character, Sandman Morpheus. And there are moments where you see this character in the comic, but in the graphic novel form, and you're like, man, this menacing character who has the power of dreams and reality. And then he has moments where he's like, of like, I've been hurt. And no one is giving me justice. And it's like, oh, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I don't even hear, I don't even see him. I just hear him like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't even mean to. So James McAvoy for me. I'm so sorry. I failed you. <laughs> I failed you. Corey. <laughs> so this, this was an interesting exercise because I wanted to make sure that I've been learning something from one of the important lessons that we should all be learning over the last few months. You know, and I realized the people that immediately came to mind are white, male, heterosexual, you know, people that, that reflect, you know, my identity. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, my identity might be partly that, 
but I should also be able to identify with women, um, gay people, black, Hispanic, Asian. So I tried to expand, you know, um, and, and even just to women, I started, and, and then I started to realize, you know what, there are brilliant, uh, female contributors to this craft. And I started going through this list, Francis McDormand, no. and, um, Kathy Bates, and, you know, but what I realized was I was sort of avoiding the obvious choice, but I realized that everybody I was thinking of, Natalie Portman, like everybody, how do they measure up? Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. Ah. <laughs> she could be Batman. It'd be the right choice. It would totally be the right choice. <laughs> You know, and you look at her range, like even her early work when she first started getting into film. Um, I think there was one before Deer Hunter, but like even her raw, truthful emotionality in Deer Hunter told you that she she had she's like this living gland that can offer herself up. And let's see what she does next. And like shortly thereafter was like a film like. Kramer, and then a few years after that, Sophie's Kramer, Choice, Sophie's where she could take that truthful emotionality and then craft a, a different sort of character around it. You know, um, Bridges from Madison County, The Hours, Ju- Julie and Julia. Oh, like I mean, I do. Yes. I know that it's a it's a cheesy movie, but The Devil Wears Prada. She's amazing. The Devil Wears Prada. It's not like, cheesy. That's like no, what no, no, us millennials would know about. <laughs> that was totally on my list. That was totally on my list of films that, like, if you want to study her craft, you have to look at um, Devil Wears Prada, or you know, compared to say Iron Lady. Mm-hmm. So Iron Lady, she she Thatcher. It was Thatcher that she was portraying there, right? Yes. Um, so she she. There were similarities in that character and the character in Devil Wears Prada. But then the nuance that she brought out in each of those um, that tended to be a little bit colder in business and, you know, you know, but then she goes to the whole other, um, to a whole other direction and the, the vulnerability of uh, the, the character she played in the post, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, gosh, like, man, if I could have, even a, a hundredth of a hundredth of of what w- what she's contributed to the to the art form, man, that that is something to be that is something to be, to be celebrated. Yeah, it's it's kind of yeah. like it's 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 just an honor to be like, well, did you get the Academy Awards? Like, no, well, I lost to Meryl Streep. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. like, hey, hey, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. You yeah. now have that story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my next uh, person. Uh, I only really like uh, I've been paying since we started Nerd On. It's one of those things that I've started to pay attention to these things, pay attention to preferences, pay attention to. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> all because of, <laughs> all because of you, Tom. Yes. Isn't Tom cool? <laughs> um, but this this actress, I I knew that I always enjoyed her and things, but it wasn't it. I started watching more and really like paying attention and Tony Collette. Oh, okay. Oh, Oh yeah. I, she is, ah, that that, it's, it's like Olivia, Olivia Coleman. It is. She's a chameleon. Um, it's interesting to see her, uh, in things like the sixth sense, um, about a boy that they're kind of damaged people in a sense. Um, very vulnerable. Um, and then to see her in something like there's a recent ish, 
uh, series on Netflix called Unbelievable in which she's kind of like, she's a strong um, police detective. Um, I just fucking love watching her. <laughs> and anything that she does, I'm just like, uh, the. I'm going to keep saying the thing. I'm just going to keep repeating myself. It's this realness that, again, yeah. I'm not watching somebody perform i'm 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 living in this moment um that just happens to be her talking to her son and he's telling her that he sees ghosts like it's like yeah no i get it but it's i'm living in that moment <laughs> it's and i i just i love watching her work and i a huge props to somebody who can i'm always fascinated to see i think dialects are a an important tool, but they're also very, very dangerous tool in terms of being able to do it correctly or something. And to have somebody that has that that's from Australia, uh, be able to do an American accent. Well, um, I mean, Hugh Laurie is another person that you just go, Holy shit, man, who are you? Like, he's yeah. just like the, the people yeah. that can do that can switch. Like it's, I think that's a fascinating skill for actors as well to be able to to do that. And for somebody, because you forget, like I took dialect classes in acting school, and you forget that it's a it's a thing. It's a thing that you do with your mouth, and you grow up doing it in whatever you did, and you forget that it's a dialect, <laughs> you know. And so it's I don't know. It's it's I love Tony Collette and anything that she does. Nick. Uh for me, um, this one is uh, I'm not I'm not gonna do any for, foreplay with this. It's it's uh, it's it's Anne Hathaway. Um, I, oh yeah, I, sure. I love Anne Hathaway, and I'll be honest. I think I really started liking her or noticing her as an actor um, for the wrong reasons. I was a child or I was a teenager, and I thought she was hot. It's cool, man. We've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Um, it's good. But um, I think after seeing her in you know the diaries, and then later on in Havoc, where she completely made a complete right left turn, whatever the right turn she took, she took it so she could be like, "I am not that Disney character. I am my own self. I am an actor." And I'm like, you know what? Props to you, but also that was great for a kid like me. Um, but then <laughs> seeing her in later works, and I, I'm glad that Corey, you brought up uh, De- Devil's Wear Prada because I thought about her in that as well. And I was just like, there is something really well written about the character, and especially just the opening sequence of these two diametrically opposed characters who have just different ways of looking at life. And you you get the best yin, yin and yang by, with, with those two characters. And um, uh, obviously, you know, my affinity towards Batman, but um, what I kind of really solidified like am i am i crazy to like her i feel like the the social media of the world they're like just hating on her for no reason and then i saw Le Miz, and then oh, that one take and i was like that one guys, take guys we cannot sleep on this <laughs> I, oh man and i saw that i was like yeah i remember watching I'm so glad you said it. yeah and I, I said i'm done i don't i couldn't leave the theater right now i would have been i would have been just as as an entertained because you gave me everything that this you know, t- this ticket was worth. And I was like, I'm done. And she won the award for that. And I was like, yes, yeah. you deserve it. And I'm, yeah. and I'm, you know, I'm out. Harmony could I'm be done. achieved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And Hathaway for the win. Um, dig it. Corey, your last one, right? Yeah. Our last round. Um, no, I just have to kind of pick up on what you were saying. What, 
when as as a young actor, I, I was really torn because I was being cast in these musicals, but I just hated the the style because I, I loved I loved Tennessee Williams and Chekhov and yeah. Shakespeare and I'm a musical you know, guy stuff. too. So <laughs> yeah, but it, it was a very different thing when you're doing Rodgers and Hammerstein. It's a very different thing than when you're doing Tennessee Williams or Odette. Oh yeah, you know. Um, but so I mean, I would ability, kind of I I would argue that it's you. It's a style, but it's I think that there should, there should be, cause I took a lot of musical theater. That was, that was kind of my track too. Like uh, it was, yeah. I wanted to be in musicals as well. Um, and a song should be like a monologue. You should be able to present the song. It may not, even if you listen to it, like, oh, it's yeah. very musical, but, or it's almost some songs are cheesy and, and catchy, but it's like you should be able to present that song as a monologue. Um, well, to your point, that's, that's exactly what I was driving to is her, her performance there. She was able to get the, the best and the truest of, of pure acting and, and a virtuoso level of musicianship in that song. It was everything. Uh, that's that's one of my favorite film moments too. If we were going to do film moments, oh, yeah. that's definitely in the top yeah. ten. That that one take, just oh. Um, and she, she, I think she said that was the third take they did. She was ready to do like a hundred more, but that was the third take she did. Anyway, my fifth is and not in this order, but like um, Denzel <laughs> would have been on the list. But um, we get it. <laughs> uh, but. Forrest Whitaker. Oh, oh, yeah. When he first got started, you go from Fast Times. Remember the character he played in Color of Money? It was it was a it was a um, a bit part, uh, but he was a hustler that showed up in a couple different scenes, and he pulled that like because he had to play a guy that was playing a guy, you know. Yeah. And he had truthful emotional life, um, and and he got. You know, he was a pool player, you know, and you go, but I was a sucker for Bird. I mean, you give me, you give me Charlie Parker, you give me Bird. Clint Eastwood directing. Yes. You know, and then, and then, and then you take characters like that, um, that, that sort of introverted, sensitive creature, and then you bring him to Last King of Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Man, talk about range. That dude has some range and he's truthful and he's creative and he's imaginative and sensitive and powerful and he's able to bring all of it and pour it into those characters. I think when I got introduced to him was in Panic Room. Yeah. And like seeing that, you know, he comes in first as an antagonistic force and then seeing the turn and the growth with the character and seeing like how the different events play out, you're like, wow. Like, so not only were you providing this piece in the film, you were also adding several layers to it as well. So it's, I don't what you're talking about of like, it, you know, you're pouring so much more than I think that sometimes it was even written for. Yeah. yeah. And you, I mean, I figured you guys would be into the whole rogue one black Panther thing. With yeah. <laughs> um, it, but honestly, I think what, what kept him in my mind a lot of times were like these, you know, like we're, we're talking about like not these huge films. Like I think another one was for me was uh, street Kings. Um, oh yeah, and I absolutely loved it. Where there's a moment at the end, I'm not going to spoil it, but he's pleading with um, the protagonist of saying like, "This is what we need. This is what it is." And you're like, 
and it was one of those moments like he's not trying to make the movie he's trying to make the Oscar you know so I was like yeah. it's, love, it's wonderful and it's not in the way where it's trying to take away from other actors we're talking about like collaborative you know nature of acting but it's that sense of like this is the scene you know yeah yeah uh, alright Josh so my last one last this one really baby hard. this is so so hard um, I do because this okay <laughs> I'm just gonna do an honorable mention and I'm just oh my gosh, he's not in much <laughs> but he's cheating all the time every time it's an honorable mention but I think that she needs to be known Jodie Comer who is on um, Killing Eve she plays the main antagonist Villanelle watch Killing Eve she is fucking incredible fucking incredible anyway so my last pick for this list um I chose this one because there's a story to this. Um, I was young and I was dumb and I couldn't represent the, the artist that this person is that I believe now. Um, I would not watch one of his movies. I just refused to. I was young and dumb. What changed? <laughs> I realized how good he is. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. I, All right. All right. So, I, which, 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 <laughs> which was your first film of his? What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Oh, yes. That's, I mean, that will enter you into the whole, the, yeah. the, the true, like, now that I am, um, cultured, cultured and <laughs> informed. <laughs> I look back and uh, it was one of my favorite movies growing yeah. up. And I, I yeah. don't know what it was. I think maybe it was like kind of the teeny bopper era of like, you know, he was just kind of like a kid on a magazine kind of thing. I, I, a, a good looking dude on a magazine. So it's like, I didn't really appreciate See, it. And Tiger beat, got, you're disqualified. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Tiger>. Growing <laughs> pains, man. Growing if pains. If there is a pullout poster in a magazine, you're disqualified. <laughs> um, George Clooney? No. Yeah. Um so, I mean, things like Catch Me If You Can, um, oh, yeah. what we already mentioned, um, Gangs of New York, uh, fucking Django. The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, uh, yeah. The Departed. Yeah. Like, the like Things like, huh? The Departed. The Departed. That, that's how they say it. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> the Departed. Um, yeah, The Departed. What was, what was the one that he did? Shutter Island? Uh, the front Frontiersman. Uh, Revenant? The Revenant. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's the one that got him. That finally. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, it it was it was it was a it was a change recently. It's kind of like I also realized that I really like Matthew McConaughey. I was watching a movie and I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Wait, <laughs> like if you watch the Dallas Buyers Club, you're like, yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's good. You, yeah, Where have you I can. been? Yeah, oh, I've been yeah. In, under a rock. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. But yeah. Leo, Leo, Leo's one of those. Um, I was just like I was watching. I forget what I was watching, but I was like. Wait a minute. Where have I been? And so right. I started watching more. I think uh, Bonnie and I, we went on this like whole Leo thing. Like even yeah. back to Titanic. Like you're just like, I am so dumb. I'm so mm. dumb. Yeah. Leo, I, I know that you're watching. Um, yeah. I apologize for my stupidity. Um, I respect you. Um, you can reach us, uh, nerd on. Mm-hmm. The podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> um, just I want to. Did you have a similar epiphany for for Brad Pitt? Yes. Or, that was another yeah, person right? that I was like, I'm so dumb. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how how do you watch? What was that? Uh, oh shit! 
even uh, watching where, where something like Inglorious Bastards, where you're yeah. like, we can get some Nazis. <laughs> I mean, it's a, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because we could have done character actors too. Like we could have done something like Brad Pitt to be able to. No, I didn't. He's not on my list. But I was going to say, I, was was like, I feel like list. we're just going to add more people. We're just going <laughs> to do it. people. But Brad Pitt has such a range as well that you're just yeah. like to be able to see something like like that, like Glorious Bastards or Burn After Reading or like these kinds of things where you're just like it's so seven character. So seven. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't. So Leo, like he he earned a place when I just realized I was like, oh my god, I'm a Leo fan. Young me is like. <laughs> You, you failed me. And I look back at myself and go, it's okay. It's um, okay. In some connective tissue, um, talking about Leo and then also talking about my last pick with Anne Hathaway. Also, I always have to give a, like a big props to whoever handles Christopher Nolan dialogue um, because those are just like long blocks of exposition, right? And if you're able to tell it in such a way that's entertaining, then props to you. But also with that sense of with McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, I remember she having a interview like it was one of those actor on actor interviews with matthew mcconaughey and she was saying how she knew he was going to win an academy award and it wasn't for dallas buyers club she knew he was going to win because of his performance in magic mike she said the McConaughey is going to happen and he's going to win an Academy Award. <laughs> and so i'll so it's just so funny that we brought it up i was like yeah that i remember this specific conversation um but for my fifth and last um, actor that I will pick who is not the last in any list, but just the last person I choose to mention. Um, someone again, who is a little bit more, uh, I think, uh, becoming bigger in the mainstream. Um, but someone I picked up pretty recently, it wasn't like someone like Christian Bale when I was like a kid. I was like, Oh my God. But, um, Daniel Kaluuya. Um, oh. and he, first time I watched him, he, so if you don't know who he is, you've seen him in black Panther. He's Okoye's significant other. He oh, leads yeah, the yeah, army. Yeah. He yes. is in get out the lead actor for get out. He is the lead actor in queen versus uh, queen and slim British um, actor of course. British actor, um, black dude. And the first thing that I ever seen him, saw him in was in black mirror. And it was episode two of season one. And it's, if if you know the episode, it's the episode with the bikes, and that episode creeps a lot of my friends out. But that in that episode, it it gave me this character who has this level of like um, apathy that this is reality and it's dystopian, um, and I loved it. And you see him like learn how like okay, there's someone I care about. Something bad happened to them. I have to do something. And then at the very end leaves you with this level of resignation of like everything's screwed. Um, and mm. I think, you know, Twitter is wonderful and terrible at the same time, but they have, you know, created that wonderful meme of like, don't get in a relationship with this guy. He will like, you will die or something bad will happen because of the <laughs> films that he's been in. And um, most recently, the thing I saw him in was in Queen and Slim. And oh. it is about, uh, you know, two black people who are on the run um, after, um, uh, an incident with the police and that film because of both actors in part, but, um, since I'm picking Daniel Kalia, uh, both I walked away the most upset in the way that I was angry and I wanted to cry. Um, because it was such this moment of like, you take these characters who have nothing to do. It was, it was pretty much like, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, 
You know, like he was like, I don't know why I should care about these characters. But then when you're on the journey, you're on the journey. And this was like the Bonnie and Clyde of this generation where it's like they they have no reason to be connected. But then because of circumstance, they are. And they, they do make those decisions where they can turn back, but they don't. And at the very end, you're left with the exact same feeling of Bonnie and Clyde. We're just like, oh, man, life is tough and violent. And mm. uh, it's brutal and bloody. And uh, yeah, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, I, I, and his, the coming film at the time of this recording is going to be um, Judas and the Black Messiah. And I'm really excited for that one. So uh, yeah, that, that rounds out all top nice. five for everybody. Top five, top five, top five. Um, I also, awesome. Corey, I hate you again for making us do this. This was really hard. This was <laughs> so I hard. put it on it. I put the... We could have talked about poker, guys. We could have you know. <laughs> talked about poker. He even threw Two out sevens politics, really good, right? and I was like, "Ooh, ooh, let's do it, let's do it." <laughs> it'll be it'll um, be an after dark episode. <laughs> awesome. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Corey. This has been a lot of fun. Before we before we head into the the goodbyes and whatnot, tell our audience where they can find you. Like your um, trailer geeks and teaser gods um, is your podcast. Uh, Tell everybody about it, where they can find it. Or you personally. Yeah, it's on all podcast apps. So if you just type in Trailer Geeks and Teaser Gods, you'll find it on Apple and Spotify and Google and everywhere you get your podcasts. We're on um, most of the major social platforms, but we're not as active on uh, Twitter and IG there. Um, but we just, we just produced our, our second show. I'm not the host on it. But both sides of the ball is doing really um, important work. Uh, Bo Van Pelt and and um, Pharrell Evans are these great hosts. Bo is a professional golfer on the PGA Tour. Whoa. Pharrell is a brilliant writer and academic, um, and they're they're buddies. Uh, Bo is a country boy who lives in Tulsa, and Pharrell is a black dude who lives in Harlem. Um, you know, Pharrell's the academic and writer, and Bo is a professional athlete, and yet they're good buds. So they talk about golf, you know, that's their thing. You know, Pharrell's written for SI and, and uh, ESPN magazine. And, um, you know, so they obviously talk about golf, but they talk about culture and the intersection nice. of golf and sports and culture. So um, look up both sides of the ball as well. There's a lot of uh, okay. great conversations right. happening there. That's nice. Awesome. nice, nice, nice. Um, yeah, everybody at home, thank you so much for listening. Um, Reach out to us. Let us know your top five actors or actresses. Uh, we would love to know that. We are our DMs are open, so slip and slide uh, into yes. those. Um, <laughs> slip <and slide. laughs> um, But if you are new to Nerd On, thank you. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you are on YouTube, um, check out our website, nerdon.tv. It has all of the information, all the linky links um, to everything that we do, and we do a lot. Uh, the podcast is everywhere. Apple Podcast. Um, you can even watch it on YouTube. Uh, iHeart, Spotify, it's everywhere. Once you so, subscribe, it'll also be on your phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, stop by, rate, and review us. Those reviews, um, they not only help us grow, but they also um, they make us feel great. You know, uh, we share them within the group. It's, it's, it's good feedback. It's good stuff. Um, stop by that YouTube. Uh, we've got two channels, so check that out. Uh, and our Twitch, we are streaming often. And as I said at the top, do consider joining the Nerd On Nation. It does allow us to grow and be the best that we can be um, and to make 
good content. And that's what we want to do. We want to make good content for you. Uh, and check out our Discord, nerdon.tv backslash Discord. Join the community. It's a really cool place to be. Uh, you can talk anywhere from sports to movies to comic books. It's The gamut is wide. It's a good time. So that's it. That is all the final housekeeping. Thank you so much. You know the drill. As always, Nerd On. Ending broadcast.